This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. Hey man, it is time for fall fishing season. It is fall fishing season. If you haven't got your boat out in the water, got the dust off the reels, you know, I don't know where you've been because, you know, open water is the best water to fish by far. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's been a good year, at least in Wyoming. It hasn't been oppressively hot, which has been great this summer. And the fishing has been delightful and it's only going to get better as we transition into fall. Most people in the fall, they're petting their firearms and bows and getting ready for that. I'm getting my rods and reels geared up for fall fishing because fall fishing is my favorite. We were just talking. I was showing off my rod and reel. I got a bow fishing setup, and we need to get the dust off of that one. Go shoot some carp. For sure. So to start out, if somebody's had their boat out, obviously they kind of know the routine, but probably should make sure. Same idea. Safety stuff is number one. Life jackets, whistle, fire extinguisher, horn. Yeah. Trailer wiring is always a, a bugger every time i hook to a different vehicle (laughs) to go somewhere it just seems like murphy's law that is a pet peeve of mine why is it such a pain in the rear because it's like you know you pull a camper and it's like everything works good and then you hook up a boat trailer and you're like man my running lights are or or whatever i don't understand but it's inevitable the headlights and taillights on your truck work every time yeah I mean, occasionally a bulb burns out, you replace it, and it's good for another couple of years. And you got to go check the fuse box and start testing all these fuses. Yeah, it's it back be. to that Patrick McManus. You're always six inches short of rope, <laughs> and the test of a, tr- a relationship is hooking and backing a trailer. Oh, man. <laughs> so that is one of the most entertaining things every year is when I go to the boat ramp. And I watch people (laughs) struggle with that. By the way, if you're one of those people that struggles, I'm not making fun of you. But it is kind of entertaining to watch people back up their boat trailer. I do have a tip and a trick for that, right? And it's, you have to do everything in reverse. So if you just grab the bottom of the steering wheel and you use your thumb as an arrow, right? Mm -hmm. When, whichever way your thumb is pointing on the bottom of the steering wheel, that's the way the trailer's going to go. Or for me, what I've found is just put your arm on the passenger seat, turn your head around and just watch the trailer. Yep. And I can back up at 15 miles an hour and it just, you get a feel for, you know, length and throw of each trailer is a little different, but. Here's the other thing with that. If you're going to move your trailer at all, make sure your dogs and kids are out of the way, all your loved ones, anybody that could get hurt because bad things do happen. So make sure that they're out of the way, but like on boat ramps, especially you have to pay attention because like at Boyson, it's a perfect example, Tough Creek, there's a beach right there by the boat ramp and little kids play in there. You have to be careful. You can't be, you know, just flying back in there. If you're really good at backing in a boat, pay attention to what's going on because yep. you don't want to hit a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing that gets overlooked on boats is the bearings. Make sure your bearings have been packed and greased and that everything is good to go because it sucks when you have a blowout and your bearings bad and then your trailer, you're going to have to drop it and go into town and get some things and come back and try to fix it. It can be a real mess. So always make sure if you're doing a camp or a boat, that you're getting your bearings packed and greased and make sure everything's ready to go. Uh, make sure you have a spare too. Spares are important. 100% spares are very important. So we've talked a little bit about it. I'm getting ready to go fish a, a lake here in Wyoming out of the water ski boat. It's, uh, I, I guess we'll, 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 shall we, shall we let them know where I'm going? Yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm going to head up to Bull Lake. And uh, right now the limit on lake trout is infinite. Un- infinite. <laughs> they want those pups out of there. I, I'm going to go harvest some meat, but we're going to go camp for a day or two and get an evening and morning and an evening fish in. So what are some things, you know, besides making sure the boat's prepped, making sure rods and reels are prepped? I mean, the species I'm targeting is obviously lake trout, but there's Mm going to be some browns in there. There's going to be some rainbows. What are some things I need to be a bringing pertaining to catching fish? Yep. And what are some structure things and other things I should be looking at, paying attention to water, weather? So 
I know it's a, a big open-ended question, but if somebody else out there, and they, you, they should be able to take and interpret this towards their specific species they're targeting. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about what most fish do this time of year. So we are in mid-August. It's hot. Fish typically this time of year are looking to cool down just a little bit, especially here in Wyoming. Most of them are cool to cold water species so that you're going to have to look a little bit deeper most of the time. Early morning, maybe not so much, but as the day wears on, certainly they're going to be deeper, including walleye, lake trout, all those things. But going to Bull Lake, one thing I would do is I would reach in and get the arsenal of PK lures because the spoon bite on fall fish is phenomenal. And it doesn't matter whether you're going after... A walleye, a lake trout, a brown trout, they're going to hit all of it. So I would take the gold, the copper, the nickel on the flutterfish and the PK spoons because they like that, you know, kind of flashy stuff this time of year. I would also take, you know, the red dot glow that everybody loves and the fire tiger glow. But fishing at Bull Lake, one of the things you can do is you can actually cast up towards the structure. It drops off pretty fast and work that spoon as it falls. So Just fish it as rip it's it falling. And drop. Yep, rip and drop as it's falling. You'll notice with those lake trout, your lure will stop. So you'll you'll see it coming down. You have to kind of pay attention to your line because they'll bite when you're not paying attention. It'll be fluttering down. All of a sudden, it'll stop. You better set the hook fast because otherwise they're going to spit it back out. You know, green is also a great color up there. I always tell people to take the fire tiger and the fire tiger glow because green works on lake trout. Uh, it does just about everywhere I've fished them and white. So that red dot glow is a good color too. The so other thing... Inlets, outlets, middle of the lake, just where the structure is, anywhere I, in between? I'd be looking for structure adjacent to deep water because that's where they're going to be hanging out. The other thing you might do to increase your odds, because they may be a little finicky, is get some cut sucker, which, by the way, I know a supplier um, for sucker meat if you want some. But get some cut sucker meat. You know, you can tip just a little bit. You don't have to do much. And what I like to do is cut it into strips for a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't get your treble hook too gummed up with too much stuff. You want to have good hookups, right? But you also can create a little bit of action because what that spoon does when you're constant retrieving it or when you're ripping it, it works that treble hook back and forth, kind of like a dog's tail wagging. And if you have a piece of meat, like a little strip about quarter, quarter of an inch. inch or a little skinnier, if you can, wide, flopping off the back, it looks like a tail. How long? I usually go about an inch to two inches. That's okay. all you need. You don't need much. It makes a lot of sense to me to have that little tail on there. It makes it a lot of scent. sense. You know, like scent's a big deal to trout. People don't realize trout rely on their sense of smell a lot, almost as much as catfish. It's crazy how much they, you know, relay scent to, hey, that's something I can eat. And that's why when we ice fish, typically we're, we're tipping our treble hooks with that as well, because, uh, you know, minnow heads, minnow bodies, you know, a lot of our lakes, you can't fish live minnows. So like if you're at, check your regulations, but you know, minnows are great. Sucker meat's great just because it gives that scent. Again, if you can take that strip of meat and make it look like a tail or something with some action, you're typically going to increase your odds of catching a fish. So you mentioned that those fish are going to be chasing that deeper, colder water. You know, I imagine kind of like we do in the afternoon here, it's hot. I'm going to go find a shady spot. I'm not just yeah. going to be out in the full-blown sun. How about the bite? Is it going to, you know... My experience, off-water, salmonoids, whatever, mornings and evenings are always better than midday. Is that going to be typical what you find on a lake? Yeah, and it depends on the species, but I would say trout, as a general rule, are going to bite better early and late, but they also bite during the middle of the day. Sometimes you'll have killer lake trout bites right in the middle of the day. And I know our lake trout people who are listening are nodding their heads because, I mean, they can get down in that thermocline, get down to that cooler water and, you know, just get below the thermocline even, and you can you can work those fish and catch them all day long because they're comfortable and Similar, if they're hungry. Like with elk, if they're really, really active at midnight, I mean, we're talking they weren't very active in the evening. All of a sudden it gets dark. They get super active. You can hear them screaming out your tent all night. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like somebody turned the spigot off when the sun come up. Yep. Midday, those elk are going to, because they went to bed is what happened. take a nap. They get up and they go, you know what? I'm going to stretch my legs and go get a bite to eat. And most guys have gone back to the trailer and they're, they're sleeping at noon. <laughs> I've killed my biggest bull. So well, at noon. Remember what Bill Simontel talked about. He said hunting and fishing are basically the same things, just ones underwater. Well, fish are no different. Like the moon phases do have an effect. 
I still haven't figured out exactly the effect, but there is one. Like, so I'll give walleye as an example. When you have a full moon phase going on, typically they're biting all night long. They're out hunting, doing their thing. And then during the day, sometimes it's a little slower. And so it's kind of the same thing as elk, right? If, if the moon's out, they're feeding. And then during the day, they're bedded down. They're taking a nap. I focus on setting my archery elk hunt up around the moon, right? And I hunt during the full moon too, mm-hmm. but I'm just basically filling time until that moon goes away. And it is, I mean, it's like somebody turns a switch on and all of a sudden, you know, and you've been there fishing the same spot, the same lure, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. You had a few bites at eight, nothing at nine, <laughs> 10. Then all of a sudden 1030 rolls on and it's fish on, fish on, fish on. It's so. maddening to me. Sometimes I'll show it up, up at a walleye spot at like three or four in the morning and I'll catch a couple. And then from 6 to 6.15, it's as fast as I can cast. You know, they're hitting and then shuts off again. So I'm talking about fishing from the bank, right? Yes. Like it's just there's that open window where they move in, they feed hard, and they move back out. And that's something that happens in the fall that a lot of people don't realize is that fish are coming in. I'll give walleye as an example. If you're going to do fall fishing, because this is a fall fishing episode, if you're going to fall fish, walleye fishing in the fall is the best time of the year in my opinion. Because you're going to catch bigger fish because, you know, they've spawned early in the spring. They're starting to grow those egg sacs back. They start to bulk up a little bit and they're on the feed getting ready for winter. What happens in most of our Western reservoirs is you'll have walleyes chasing emerald shiners and shad. What happens with emerald shiners and shad, again, you have to know what the bait's doing to catch the fish that are pursuing the bait, is they start to school up pretty hard. And so you'll see millions, and I'm not exaggerating, millions of emerald shiners, millions of shad suspended out in the deeper water during the day. And then they'll move in at night along like rock faces and cliffs. Guess where the walleyes are? They're right there with them. They're following that bait. They're going to eat until they can't eat anymore. And I've had times in the fall where I'll catch like a 19, 20-inch walleye. Sometimes, you know, some of the bigger walleyes. They'll be throwing up emerald shiners and crappie because the crappie are also following the emerald shiners. And so you'll pick them up and there's just all these fish just start spewing out of their mouth. And you're like, how did you even eat my lure? You know, this is insane that you're eating this much. But you got to understand that as these fish come out of summer, they're on like hyperdrive in summer. They're feeding, feeding, feeding because it's, it's warm. They're getting ready for fall. Fall kind of starts that transition of they, they really pack it on because they're like, man, winter is coming. Kind of like we're doing right now. We're it's no different than horses, bears or no different than us. Yep. We're getting harvest, you know, all these things. We're getting ready for winter too. Well, the fish are no different. They're getting ready. We, we have to understand that as anglers and as hunters, right? What are the animals doing to prep for winter? Well, In the case of walleyes, lake trout, they're eating like crazy. And you can catch a ton of fish. And the nice thing about fall, no offense to the hunters, but when you guys are out in the field, I got a lot more elbow room on the lakes and reservoirs and rivers, right? So I can go out and I can catch more fish. So it's actually pretty advantageous if you are the person who's like an avid angler or maybe you've tagged out, grab your fishing rod, you know, head down to your favorite river, lake, stream, figure out what the bait are doing because then you're going to find out what the walleyes, what the lake trout, what the rainbows, what the browns, whatever they're doing, you're going to figure it out. We're getting ready to go get firewood this weekend, all mm-hmm. weekend. I think we're going to throw a couple rods and reels in. There's a couple streams around. I, I think we can get the kids on some brookies for an evening. So you you just inspired me to, you mm-hmm. know, we're going on a mission of I want firewood. And after last winter, if you guys uh, oh, <laughs> have been around, you heard about it. It was uh, it was brutal. And I ran out of wood not once, not twice, but three times. How do you run out of th- wood three times? Well, I'd go get a pickup load, burn through it, thinking that, <laughs> hey, we, we got enough to make it. And be beg, borrow, and steal another pickup load. So, but yeah, the fall the fall fishing is absolutely phenomenal. There's no reason that you can't take your kids. It's usually a nice time of year too because you can throw on a hoodie, some jeans, go down to the body of water, and fish and be comfortable. And you can fish late. That's the cool thing is like, you know, go on a Friday night. You can go out and you can fish walleye from you know seven o'clock, six o'clock, you know, until. 10, 11, 12 at night and just enjoy the crisp, clean air, the stars in the sky, you know, catching some fish. And I've, I've taken you and done this and it's really fun. It's like if you're fishing like a suspending crank, 
along some rocks and you're what you do is you basically do a couple of retrieves and then kind of twitch your lure a couple times and just let it sit there and then you feel that walleye come up or that big trout and just grab it and yank it the other they way almost it yank the rod out of your hand it's so much fun isn't it the only thing that's more exciting than that is when the metal sign behind you falls off the chain <laughs> and clangs down the clangs down the rocks and you I think, think you it's jumped a, 10 feet in the air on that one <laughs> i thought a pickup would come over the bank and was rolling down the hill on top of me oh man it was, was good funny. times Dude, yeah I, I i don't think it was as funny as you do but oh man it was great <laughs> so so for the We've listeners out the funny there ones. there was about a three by four foot metal sign that said something i don't care what it says anymore but it was hanging on one chain and it like fell two t-posts <laughs> and we're down there at midnight one o'clock fishing for walleye and and any second you can have your the rod ripped right out of your hand so you're you're on high alert you're keyed in and we got you know headlights kind of on but not really there was just enough light that you could sort of see what you're doing and so i've keyed in i'm ready to go and all of a sudden i mean it was like 10 <laughs> pots and pans clanging behind me five feet and i i yeah i think i did i, I jumped and i might have said an expletive or two i, I was uh, i was animated for quite a while after that that's all right that's all right it was fun and some crazy things happen when you fish in the fall too like um you know i think of you know, different friends I've taken out and, you know, we go catch walleyes, go catch these big trout. One time I took Seth out there and we were fishing late at night and he's like, Oh, I got one. And his line took off from the water up into the air. And what had happened was an <laughs> owl had come in and grabbed his lure and took off with it. I have never seen that in my life. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. This, this big old owl, big great horned owl comes down snatches his lure and takes off and thank goodness it came off it let go of the hook because can you imagine trying to unhook a really cranky great horned owl from your line mm. no thank you so those things are vicious statue of limitations is passed but we did a lot of trolling on strawberry and flaming gorge as a kid mm -hmm. and grandma threw a worm out on a line i think it was on pop gear but she threw it out instead of just right and the mm -hmm. seagull dove in and, oh no and went after it and you know gobbled gobbled down got hooked and i'll never forget her reeling that line with that pop gear and here's this kite behind us of a seagull <laughs> oh, i believe no. the seagull got released but yeah it wasn't yeah. wasn't happy and it wasn't good however it was quite comical yeah i had that happen to me when i was in high school a group of buddies of mine we went up to uh, a little trout lake outside of cheyenne and I was fishing this smaller minnow style crankbait and <laughs> seagull came down and grabbed it. And that was not very fun trying to get him unhooked. He was very upset, but he was fine. He flew away. He was, his feelings were hurt, but it was not enjoyable trying to unhook it. And I, I had that going through my mind, but thinking great horned owl, big talons, chompy beak i'm like oh no 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 <laughs> but luckily it, it went away so we were all right but seth he was like trying to figure out what the heck happened because you know he felt something so he sets the hook and then all of a sudden his line is going in the air and he's <laughs> in like, the dark going in on? the air so wait a second and another time i was fishing and i caught a bat so, I mean, you're out at night, right? Yep. And, and early in the fall, the bats are still around. You can, you can see them flying around doing their thing. And uh, anyway, I throw out and I'm reeling in and I feel this tension on my line. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Well, what had happened was a bat had flown into my line, like into the actual line part that was just over the water and had wrapped his wing around it or something. He hit it hard. So I reel him in. <laughs> and these bats just flopping all over the place. But yeah, you do the weirdest things in the fall. But I will say it is one of the prettiest and most enjoyable times to go fishing. Because, I mean, it's so comfortable outside. Typically, the wind's not howling like in the springtime. Because I love spring fishing, too. Spring fishing can be amazing. You got cabin fever and you're out there but in open water. It's still typically pretty cold, right? And you also get the wind with the transition of the season and sometimes rain and it can be just a little bit more miserable, but fall fishing is phenomenal. And when you're up at Bull Lake, it's going to be gorgeous. You may well, it's probably too early to hear the elk, but like I know some people go up there in the fall, they listen to the elk bugle, they fish, you know, th those are the kind of things that I look forward to in the fall. The fishing is phenomenal and I am going to go target, obviously the big walleyes, um, the big trout in the fall. And then this year, 
also the big sauger. There's a couple of places where I have access, which is great because a lot of the places where I want to go for big sauger, you have to know somebody, right? And I have some guys that are going to let me fish, but man, there's nothing better than fishing. And I'm going to run through some of these, but like that suspending crankbait, that is so much fun. You know, I've typically using like an X-Wrap or a Smithwick Rogue, something like that that suspends. And because most of those oh, predatory man. fish, they're going to lay in the bottom of the structure mm-hmm. in an ambush position. They're going to be looking up. Yep. And when they see, sometimes it's just the shadow yep. of that suspending crank coming over. They're going to explode and come up and they're going to hone in on it just like, you know, a bird honing in on a bait in the sky and they're going to take it out. Well, and Bill Bill Simentel talked about this too on his podcast is, you know, we got millions of emerald shiners swimming by and they're all one to two inches long. If you throw a four and a half inch, five inch, six inch crankbait, and I'm not exaggerating here, it stands out. And so when those fish, those walleye are keying in on what they're going to hit and eat, you better have something bigger. You know, because you can try to match the hatch and you can throw really small stuff, but your catch rate goes way down. If you have something that casts a bigger shadow, to your point, has a bigger profile, makes a little bit more noise, you're going to catch more fish and you're going to catch bigger fish, which is always the goal for me, right? You want to catch more and bigger ones. And those walleyes really key in, at least in my experience, they key in on the four and a half to six inch lures. And sometimes I catch. 19 inch walleye that have an eight inch trout in their stomach. So it's not like an eight inch trout is too big. So an eight inch lure is not too big either. So just something to think about when you start gearing up and heading out. So one thing to talk about back on the the safety aspect, we've talked about it already, but that journey management is just as important fishing as hunting, right? Especially if you're doing a late night adventure somewhere, you know, because yep. if if you're not back, you need to trigger the the uh, the emergency response, like we've talked about. Yeah. Is there some other safety things to think about? Yep. So one that really gets overlooked, and I am not perfect at this, but something you should do is always wear eye protection. Everybody thinks about it during the sunny parts of the day. You got sunglasses on. Well, when you're fall fishing, get some clear safety glasses. And have them on at night. And people are going to say, well, that's stupid. You're a sissy. Well, fine. I'm a sissy, but I'm going to have both of my eyeballs. You know, because what will happen is sometimes, you know, you'll be fishing those crankbaits or whatever. And you're pulling on a good-sized fish. Those big walleye and trout, when they go to thrashing their head around, sometimes that lure pops loose. And guess where it goes? It's right at your face. Right at your face, right over your head, right over your shoulder. And if you're fishing with other people, you don't control how they cast. You don't control how they're pulling their rod against the fish. That thing can end up, you know, dug right into your eyeball, into your face. We've so talked about you this watch for. on the Kenai River, especially, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. running ounce, ounce and a half weights. And when you lose a, a, a fish on that river, you know, you're talking 20 pound test line that's stretched tight. I have seen more than one eyeball lost Whacked. on that river. So yep. anymore, we go down with safety glasses, sunglasses. And yeah, we look a little goofy on the river because nobody else is wearing them. But I'll tell you after seeing somebody get a a large salmon hook through their eye I, that's not an experience i want to deal with and just the thought of it sends shivers down my spine and i'm sure it does for our listeners because it's it's brutal and it can happen but if you have kids especially you really got to watch for that you know like you want to protect your kids and you want to protect their eyeballs make sure that you have some kind of eye protection the other thing too have good pliers you know so that you can properly unhook fish um some of those, those suspending cranks have two treble or hooks on three. them and trying yeah. to trying to get that second one out with a flopping fish around if you don't have good pliers you're going to run the first one in in your hand somewhere and yes I, I, that's speaking from experience <laughs> with no pliers i gotta tell you this story danny's not around anymore but he told me this story he was fishing pathfinder reservoir when he was living in casper in the fall and up there, like a rebel crawdad off of some of the rocky structure there works great. And so he's fishing this one night and in the fall, catching walleye. He was on like his fourth or fifth one, pulling it up to the bank, went to grab it, to unhook it. It flopped. It was a decent one, you know, and it kind of flopped out of his hand. And guess what? That second treble hook from that rebel crawdad got buried into the tendon just above his thumb. So now he's got a fish on one end of the treble hook. Yeah. Him on the other end of the treble hook, lure in the middle, 
And not, the fish is still flopping. That is not fun. So he basically took his his pliers, knocked the fish out, unhooked the fish, then clipped, you know, the the lure off, then had to drive down to Casper and get it removed because it was buried into the tendon in his thumb. So it it <laughs> it is important to make sure that you have, you know, some things to take care of yourself. Again, a landing net so that you don't have that happen is great because what you can do is you can scoop the fish up. So I'm, I'm assuming you're shore fishing here. So you step down, kind of bend down, put the net under the fish, lift it up, let it flop around for a minute, then let it relax. Then take your pliers in your other hand, grab that treble hook and just shake them loose and get that lure out of there. Get that lure away from you. That's the last thing you want to have dug into your thigh, your finger, your face, any, anywhere in your body. Those of us who've been hooked know how much fun hooks are. So you, you do that, you mitigate the risk, then you can handle the fish. It's no problem, right? So if you're going to release it, great. Just dip the net back in the water and let them go. Or, you know, pick them up, put them on the stringer, do what you got to do. But same thing with broadheads when you're hunting. Yeah. If, you, if you've been lucky enough to be successful on an animal, you need to find the rest of that broadhead because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to be doing is processing it and find it. Mm. And they go in places you wouldn't think. So when you find it, put it back in your quiver, put it away. You know, same yeah. thing we've talked about. Uh, back to the netting, you know, we I have shown you the video. Make sure that that person <laughs> netting the fish can lift the net up. There's yeah. been uh, more than one or two uh, um, tenuous, strenuous friendships <laughs> dissolved because of a, a missed fish being netted so the the net man is the stressful part you know the the, the guy oh. rod and reel that that is stress but i would rather reel in fish all day long than be the guy trying to net the fish for especially a big one for somebody else because there's so much pressure it's like oh crap you know it's like if i lose this 30 inch walleye that person's gonna be ticked at so me. something that we can talk a little bit about and this is coming from you know hundreds of salmon netted in Alaska, right? Is a lot of what I see is guys try and net the fish too early. Yeah. When the fish is still green, green, right? So let that fish run a couple times. And with salmon, especially a big king salmon, right? Realistically, you want to get that fish up on top of the water planing and you kind of want to water ski him towards the net. And then the netter kind of needs to have the same the net needs to go dive under the fish in the water, yep. right? And then start scooping up. And really, you don't want to let tension off. But if you quit water skiing the fish, right, you just water ski it towards the boat. And then you kind of almost momentarily pause. Mm-hmm. And then the net goes under the water and comes up. The fish is just kind of suspended there, like doesn't know what it's going to do. And it's not under its own power. But if you're bringing a fish in, you know, that's still under its own power towards you, and then you push a net in the water, it's going to go away from the net every time. Oh, of yeah. course. Well, the other part of that too is if you are the net man, you better be having some eye protection on as well. There's been several times where people are water skiing the fish to me and that hook pops loose and guess where that lure comes straight at my face because I'm trying the to rods get aimed at you. Yeah, it's yeah. aimed at me. So I've been hit by rods too. That's that's painful. But <laughs> the worst one I ever did, uh, I foul hooked a fish in Kenai and, and had it and lost it. It popped off and went above my head and landed up on the bank, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you guys know what flossing is, you have 15 feet of line or so out. So it's 15 up, 15 feet up the bank behind me. Well, I just went to flick the rod and flick it back out in the water, right? That weight hit me somewhere right in the, the back head. of the head. Mm. And oh man, to this day, I can still feel the sting of, and I did it to myself. I just, and it was a quick flip of the rod to get it, you know, out there. Ouch. Yeah. So, mm. Oh, the other part about being the net man. So if you are going to like plunge that, net under the fish make sure you plunge it under the fish and not on the fish because <laughs> i I've had, I've had some people knock my fish off and i'm like really really like come on well, and this they're like, is oh per- i was trying to get it under i'm like yeah you just knocked it off the video quality is not very good it's cell phone quality from early 2010 but we do have the uh, salmon video that i think will will uh i i am finally <laughs> ready to share it where with the the net the net person was my wife and we are still married, but that was that was a moment that was, a that close was one. Uh, to this day. It's it's taken it's taken over ten years for me to to attempt uh, to get over the loss of that fish. That is painful. Like it, there's been a few times I know where I didn't have a landing net. So the, here's here's something for fall. There's been several times in the fall I've had probably like the twenty six to thirty inch class walleye right up to the bank. 
and I reach down to grab them and they shake their head and they come loose and they swim off. That is, and you didn't have a net. You were just trying to beach them, right? Yes, that is painful. Just get a decent landing net. Make sure it's big enough to handle the fish that you're after. If you're going after a 30 inch walleye, you better have a net that's big enough to handle them. Otherwise you may have other problems where they fall out of your net or they get the hook caught on the netting and that pulls it loose because that's 100 what happens happens. that fish was in the net and we're talking terrible it's a 45 inch net and it's a 42 inch fish right so the net was big enough but barely the fish flops in the net the net doesn't really get lifted up because it's a 45 50 pound fish and the net the hook got caught in the net and the fish slammed away. So it was a nice catch and release, but yeah, I would have liked, liked to hold it before I let it go, just to, for a pitcher maybe. Just for a pitcher. But, you know, it happens. I do want to talk about a couple of other things that hardly ever get talked about on podcasts, but for fall fishing, this is key. If you are going to fish like a suspending crankbait, tuning your lure is important. And so what do I mean by tuning? And I'm not talking about music. What I'm talking about is it needs to be able to swim properly through the water and it also needs to suspend properly. So (laughs) it's, it's unfortunate, but there are many different baits that out of the box don't quite do what they're supposed to do. So I'll give you an example. Smithwick rogues. I love them. I catch lots of really big fish on them. But typically right out of the box, they run funny. So they'll run to the right or to the left. And what it is, is it's that little piece on the very front end of the lure. That In you front tie. of the eye that you tie yep, to. You so have the, a, the bill or the lip of the lure. Yeah, there's like a little metal piece that is molded into the plastic. And then you have a split ring, which is what you tie to. Well, that little piece of metal that molds into the plastic is typically just a tiny bit off. And so they make these tools. They're called lure tuners. They're basically, it's like a cylinder with a notch cut out in the end where you can put that over that metal and kind of bend it back into place. Be gentle because some lures you will ruin if you start wrenching on it too hard. But the easiest thing to do, take your lure out of the box, get it tied on, take about three or four feet of line off the rod tip, and then put it in the water and just kind of work that lure, just kind of sweep your arm And you'll see how that lure is working. You'll see if it'll come up to the left, come up to the right, and then you just have to tune it accordingly. The other thing you need to do is kind of cast it out about 10 feet, reel it down a little bit, and see if it suspends. If it starts to come back up or if it sinks, you know you've got a problem. If it sinks, I don't know what to tell you because you can't put anything on it to really float it. But if it's coming up in the water column and you want it to hang Here's a little trick that I was taught many years ago that works really, really well. Is about midway at the bait. So like if it's a rogue, about the middle hook area or maybe even the front hook area, just clip on like a heavier snap swivel and then put it back out there and see what it does. Because it's not going to affect the hookup rate. It doesn't really get in the way, but you can hook it right underneath the bait where that treble hook and split ring tie on to the bait. It makes a huge difference. Just adding um, a touch of weight. Yeah, so it's too yeah. buoyant, basically. Yeah, exactly. So if you need to kind of weight it down, you can buy. There's different products with these like little sticky things that are made of zinc that you can stick on the bait that'll help kind of weigh it down. I've always found a, a snap swivel. A, you a have bigger them one. handy. Yeah, just throw it on there. It works really well. Throw two on there if it's, it's going to make still a little buoyant. extra noise. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anything. And Danny taught me that years ago. He's like, man, you don't need those fancy dots because I bought some of these things you put on the lure to tune them. And he's like, yeah, just do this. And he showed me, I'm like, oh, I should have been doing that a long time ago. But that's that's awesome. it really does help because when you are fishing like walleye in the fall, it's important to really suspend that bait and just let it sit there because those fish are watching that thing and they're like, oh, he stopped. I'm going to eat him. You know, then they'll come up, they'll crack it. And so um, sometimes in the fall, you can pause the lure for just a second and you got a fish hitting. Sometimes I can count up to 10 and then the fish will grab it. So you also have to mess around with your retrieve a little bit. I always just start with the faster, more aggressive and then work my way to, you know, a slower retrieve. But always start with the aggressive first and work your way down. But there's there's some fine tuning there. Is um, there any difference when you're trolling? tuning a lure than when you're like from the shore 
Yeah, trolling, same kind of thing. What what I do with trolling is I just let it hang off the side of the boat, get it out in the water a little ways back, and you can watch. Like, uh, you know, like the PKs, they're, I have really good luck with PKs. I don't usually have to tune them at all, but like the ridgeline, you can throw it out behind the boat and you can kind of watch. And if it's kind of moving to one side or the other, Again, tune it just a little bit, but man, those things run really, really great out of the box. So basically the eye isn't lined up with the center body line of the lure. And so as right. you're pulling, it's, it's moving one side or the other. Yeah, and so you're just tweaking that eye just ever so slightly. Yeah, it goes back to that path of least resistance. It's going to move that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you just have to tune it in so it's even on both sides. And then you get that nice wobble that you want. Um, I will say this about the ridge lines in the fall. If you want to have a really fun day, go to, you know, if you're in Wyoming or another state that has like big rainbow trout, go troll those early in the morning in the fall for rainbows. Oh my gosh. What kind of speed are we talking about trolling? Like two in it, two to sometimes as fast as three miles an hour, but man, those trout, they are ferocious. I mean, they come up and they smack those things. They'll come out of the water. It's exciting. And it's really fun if you're trolling and you're holding the rod, you don't have them in the rod holders, but you're actually holding it and you feel that fish come up and hit it. It is exciting. Uh, one of my favorite colors to use in the fall is the baby bass. So if you get the ridgeline crankbait, get the baby bass color, that thing catches walleye all summer too, by the way, if you want to troll them in the summer, it's, it's a great walleye lure. But man, those fall trout just hammer it. And you can fish those. I've got some of my biggest walleye on the PK ridgeline at night. Um, the hard thing about it is the ridgelines sink. So they're a lipped crankbait and they sink. So you have to factor that in. And if you're fishing around rocks, it can get gnarly pretty quick. But it's kind of cool because if they're holding a little bit deeper, like if it's earlier in the evening, you can't pause it, right? Because it's going to sink. But you can cast it out really far into the deep water and count it down and get it down, 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 down into the water column and then start retrieving and working it back. Man, I have caught some really nice trout and really nice walleye doing that in the fall. So So kind of subtly sinking. Nobody's really noticing it's moving. It's just like a a pebble hit the water and it's just sinking. And then all of a sudden it's a fish just taking off. Yep. And they they love to eat them. I've, I've caught some absolute giants that way the other the other pk lure that i would be using in the fall too is that spinner jig i've got some monster all on that spinner jig it's got a little prop blade up above the jig head that spins gives it just a little bit more action especially under a full moon that thing works amazing well i'm going to start with flutterfish on the bottom flutterfish working the structure down yep and i'm going after pups i'm going to go oh you're going to maybe i'll get one that's not a pup but even if we just go get a bunch of pups on the rod and reel and we might do a little bit of trolling for some trout and we'll take some some pk ridgeline stuff and the water ski boat doesn't have a troll motor but what i found is i'm going to throw a five gallon bucket out on either side tie it to the hooks and we can get it at, at idle, we can get it down to that two, two and a half. And it's the boat I have, so it's the boat we're taking. And that's the thing, like being innovative like that, a drift sock or buckets, it works really well, man. You know, you can slow it down. I mean, just kick it out of neutral, just 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 out of neutral, you know, tie those off on the back. Yeah, you can you can do really well trolling that way. And those PK ridge lines, they troll great. I would put two on planer boards, get them out to the right and the left, away from the boat, and then have two back behind. Put it back about 100 feet. You'll catch fish. I mean, they are phenomenal trolling lure. So when I do catch fish, yeah, um, you know, when we're um, – most of my fishing experience is Oregon, Alaska, super cold water. And usually January or even June, July, it's still – We'd catch a bunch of salmon. We put them on a stringer. They're in 45, 50 degree water, right? That water is super cold. So something to think about and something you've taught me here is, you know, you're you're not just going to pull a bunch of walleye, a bunch of trout, a bunch of lakers, a bunch of browns up in the boat, throw them in the bottom of the boat and troll around the rest of the day. You're going to brain them. You're going to bleed them. You can either put them on a stringer on the side of the boat, leave them in the water if you're trolling, or ideally... A cooler with some ice you know and that yeah that's going to make a huge difference in the quality of the fish that you either smoke or prepare or cook and put on the table yeah this time of year i would highly recommend that the water temperatures are in the 70s so i mean it's it's too warm to put the fish back in the water it's kind of like 
you know, shooting an antelope and throwing it in the back of the truck. So trout, especially they degrade really quick. I mean, just like an antelope, the, the quality of the meat goes downhill in a hurry. So what I've really tried to do, and this is thanks to Hank Shaw and Doug Stangy, you can go back and listen to those episodes. They talk about really premium fish care. Like if you really want to care for that catch and you want to make it taste as good as possible, have the best texture as possible, catch the, catch the trout, smack them in the head, bleed them in the water. Okay. So in the, it could be in your live well, you know, typically I'll fill the live well up, bleed them in that, and then put them in an ice slurry. So basically take a, a cooler, fill it halfway with ice, then fill water up to the top of the ice. So it's a nice slurry. You put those fish in there, they're going to be perfectly cared for. And then when you get home, you know, you can fillet them out, do whatever you're going to do with them. Maybe you're just going to gut them and cook them, but get them filleted out, get them cleaned up. And that's going to be as good a quality fish as you get. Because if you leave them in that warm water, they already start to get bacteria and start to do their thing and start to turn kind of nasty. I'll tell you, man, it's been a game changer for me and people are going to roll their eyes. But I mean, I even tried that with carp this spring and it makes a huge difference. Um, People will will still shake their head and say carp are disgusting. You don't know until you've tried because I said that for years, having not even tried to consume them. My son and I went in May, caught some nice ones, did that full fish care thing. Slurried them. Yep. And smoked them and they taste like a fish version of smoked ham. They taste so good. I was amazed at the quality. So, I mean, you can take fish that maybe people think are less desirable. You know, some people are like, I don't like catfish. Well, if you take care of catfish, they taste great. It's, it's really, I think just about any fish that you, I'm starting to really agree with this line of thought is that any fish that you catch is probably going to taste good if you take care of it. So everybody turns their nose up at, in Alaska, at Pollock or humpies, pinks, right? I'll tell you, a fresh, a fresh silver humpy. You take it home, put it right over the fire, right then. It's good, delicious. It's a good canning fish. Now it doesn't hold up. The meat doesn't hold up to freezing like your king yeah. salmon, and it doesn't have the fat content that if you're smoking it, like some of the other fish do. But Pollock, I mean, we were on Kodiak this spring. and It's good stuff. I was trying to get halibut. Well, the bait <laughs> fish had come in. The whales were in chasing the bait fish. Well, guess what else came in? The Pollock. And mm-hmm. you could not get your lure to the bottom before you were hooked up with a 12-pound cod. Oh, you know, we caught 25, 30 of them in an afternoon, and we tried 10 spots over about an eight-mile period. We'd buzz over here two miles and down to 100 feet of water. Mm-hmm. And we were either getting zero fish and what, the halibut, I'm sure, were chasing those same bait fish. I'm sure of it. And so we just couldn't get, they were there. Yeah. We just couldn't get through the schools, Pollock, down to the halibut. So I have a goal in life. It is to, to catch some big old halibut out of my own boat. <laughs> and it'll we, happen. It'll happen. So, but yeah, the fish care is critical, especially August. It's just like antelope. If you shoot an antelope early September or August, it's going to be really tough to take care of that meat. So just come prepared. It's not impossible. Yeah. A little bit of pre-planning and it makes for a much better product at the end. Well, and I think it honors the the fish and the antelope better if you really try to maximize it, right? Like, Oh, that was my thought is if, if you're just going to go, you know, hook a limiter rainbow and you're going to throw them in the bottom of the Lund until you get home and then, oh yeah, I got to clean those fish. Catch them and release them, man. They'll be there next time when you're, mm-hmm. you know, and wait till colder temperatures. Same thing with antelope. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna go the lengths of, I I cringe when I see somebody. Oh, they they shoot an antelope, they throw it in a truck, they drive it to a processor, they drag it out of the back of the processor and throw it on the floor. And yeah. it, oh, just you know, it's it's nothing for to buy. You don't have to buy a big fancy Yeti cooler. You no. can get a Coleman cooler from from Coleman Walmart from Walmart that works just fine. And you get four bags of ice. You go out antelope hunting, and you know what? You didn't get one today. It's not a big deal to buy four more bags of ice tomorrow. Yep. And you'll appreciate the meat much more if you take care of it, believe me. And same thing with trout. If you catch you know, a bunch of nice trout and smoke them up, they're going to taste a lot better. So, so a tip that I've seen you use and a lot of other people use, milk jugs. Everybody has milk jugs. Yep. Freeze a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Throw those in your cooler. You can hose them off if you've got like a bait freezer, like some of us trappers do, where we've got, you know, all sorts of surprises are in my chest bait freezer. (laughs) Just don't go in that freezer. That's not for human consumption. Mm -hmm. But if you throw those 
jugs in there, refreeze them. Now I'm not going to store buying ice. I'm just having to do a little teeny bit of prep forethought of grabbing a couple gallons of frozen ice. And that's what we use for our antelope because why it's free. Yeah. And it, and it works well. And I mean, there's no reason, like if you have an ice maker at home, you can't bag your own ice too. get, get some garbage bags and fill them with ice. It's not that hard. You know, it takes a week, you know, your ice maker will keep popping it out. You just keep adding it to that ice bag that's in your freezer. It works really great. Um, I, I do like to have ice itself for fish just because, you know, the jugs, they work well up to a point because what happens is the, the jugs kind of thaw out. And so you have water kind of between the ice now and the plastic and then the other water and you don't get as much of the cooling, but you do get some. And so, yeah, I do have that. I have several of those and I like to bring some actual ice too. Um, it just, it really makes a big difference. And I have an ice maker. So I try to take that tray, put it in a bag, you know, and just keep doing that for days and days until I acquire enough ice, you know, but yeah, fish care. What I will important. say for the antelope is you want to keep it dry, right? That's where yeah. the jugs work really oh, well. Oh, yeah, for sure. you get the cooler cold enough, you've got the thermal mass yep. that the warm antelope won't just melt the ice right yep. away. And even as it starts to melt, you don't get wet meat. So No, that's perfect, yeah. It's just a little different for fish. But, yeah, I mean, the, the idea is the same, though. you got to get them cold. Get them cold and, and do it now and get them bled and get them brained. Yep. And we do that in Alaska with all the fish. It's as simple as... You know, we've got the video of making the caribou horn fish whacker. Mm-hmm. You, you whack them, and then you reach in there. Now, I have found that for whatever reason, and I've just been using my fingers forever to gill salmon, <laughs> they've got a lot of bacteria on their gills, and you start getting little nicks and stuff. And then your fingers swell up, and they hurt. Yeah, I've, I get, and now I'm kind of almost allergic to it because I've been having that much level yeah. of exposure. So I have to either use something needle nose pliers something work great i no longer use my fingers because i have to go home and and if if this does happen to you i've found soaking my hands in a sink full of hydrogen peroxide will kill that bacteria on your hands kind of clean up your cuts it hurts but i mean my hands get to where they're so swollen up that i can't hardly and it didn't the first couple years patrick that i was up there doing hundreds of salmon with people a year you know it didn't bother me now i'm like no not ripping that gill with my finger now it needs to get you gotta you gotta bleed that fish i don't like using a fillet knife on the river down where we're at just because of hey you got other people's flopping fish and hooks and lines and so it needle nose pliers needle nose are great because like i i use the longer needle nose and it works great because you can hold the fish behind their head take the take the needle nose and whack them in the head with it then grab them flip them belly side up grab those gills, yank them, start to bleed them, put but them in the water. you got to put them back in the water. Yep. If you're going to bleed them, there's they another trip. Be in the water. You can't just yank the gills and throw it in the bottom of the boat. They've got to they've they circulate water, water yep. to circulate that blood out of the meat. And it is there is a significant difference in the quality of the meat of a fish that's been bled and not. And if you guys yep. don't believe us, <laughs> go ahead. The next time you catch two rainbows, brain and bleed one, don't bleed the other. When you're filleting it, you'll be like, oh. That's what they're talking about. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner process when you've bled them. The other thing about that, to David's point, is the coagulation happens immediately if you don't put them back in the water. So you'll pull that gill, and it'll bleed a little bit. You'll get this clump of blood, but then it stops. Because just like you and I, we have coagulation agents in our blood, and when it hits the air, it coagulates, and it stops the bleed. So if you put them in the water, it does not coagulate, and as they're heart is still pumping even though you've whacked him in the head the heart's still going it'll push all that blood out so that when you fillet it now you have a cleaner fillet you don't have blood that lateral line and down that kidney line which is usually full of blood will be pretty 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 clean so but i think we've fairly well covered fall fishing but i mean the thing is guys go out there have fun i do want to say one last thing is wear that personal flotation device that pfd because we've had some some people die here in fremont county where we live this this summer because they didn't wear one and you know you may think that you're too manly for it or you know too tough or whatever but when that wing comes up and you have problems out there it can get real scary real fast and so just plan have have a personal flotation device you may say i'm a really good driver on my boat well maybe somebody else isn't and they hit your boat going 60 70 miles an hour the bass boat 
and then you end up in the water without a life jacket unconscious, you're going to drown. So just make sure to wear it. That's a a shout out to search and rescue because we were talking about that the other day that, you know, if people would just wear their personal flotation device and, and, and do what they need to do to keep themselves and their kids safe, it would be a lot better. So just be careful out there and go that, enjoy the fall fishing. It's that so is fun. the hard one for me. Now, when I'm water skiing, 100%, I've got a nice body glove, mm-hmm. you know, jacket that I like to wear. Now, when I'm driving the boat, I like to have my jacket off. But I think you've, you've convinced me to get one of those... um kind of inflatable pfds yep. the, the horseshoe the collar yep. one so that when when we are doing some stuff like that it's not intrusive it's not in the way that is the one thing i'll say with a a water ski style life jacket when i'm trying to fish it's just not it's cumbersome so but the technology has gotten to the point now that it's easy so just wear one make i your think kids they have some one. uh fanny pack style ones now too i don't know they might but i, I think they do all the professional bass fishermen, walleye fishermen, you'll see that they've got this little thing kind of draped around their shoulders. Those are great because they don't get in the way. They don't make you too hot, just like the one, the old style. You know, you die in those things because it gets hot. But yeah, just be safe out there. That's the biggest thing. But go out and enjoy the fall fishing. I mean, it's to me, it is the best time of year to go. And I know I'll be out there. Hard water fishing's coming. You got like uh, 90 days of. Uh, yeah, good open water go go get an extra day of fishing in patrick and i uh um require that you go fishing so you can tell your spouses <laughs> you could tell your boss sorry david and patrick said i had to go fish while the water's still liquid yep exactly so ladies tell your husbands i'm going fishing husbands tell your ladies i'm going fishing just go have fun all right guys until next time thanks again for listening to the radcast outdoors podcast we hope that you've enjoyed the show if so Please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a RADCAST community on Facebook called RADCAST Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>